Central banks must target more than just inflation. May the 5th, 2009. Did inflation targeting fail? Central banks have mostly escaped blame for the crisis. Do they deserve to do so? Just over five years ago, Ben Bernanke, now chairman of the Federal Reserve, gave a speech on the Great Moderation the declining volatility of inflation and output over the previous two decades. In this, he emphasised the beneficial role of improved monetary policy. Central bankers felt proud of themselves. Pride went before a fall. Today they are struggling with the deepest recession since the 1930s, a banking system on government life support, and the danger of deflation. How can it all have gone so wrong? This is no small matter. Over almost three decades, policymakers and academics became ever more confident that they had found, in inflation targeting, the holy grail of fiat or man-made money. It had been a long journey from the gold standard of the 19th century via the restored gold exchange standard of the 1920s the monetary chaos of the 1930s, the Bretton Woods system of adjustable exchange rates of the 1950s and 1960s, the termination of dollar convertibility into gold in 1971, and the monetary targeting of the 1970s and 1980s. Frederick Mishkin of Columbia University, a former governor of the Federal Reserve and strong proponent of inflation targeting, argued in a book published in 2007 that inflation targeting is an, I quote, information-inclusive strategy for the conduct of monetary policy. In other words, inflation targeting allows for all relevant variables, exchange rates, stock prices, housing prices, and long-term bond prices, via their impact on activity and prospective inflation. Now that we're living with the implosion of the financial system, this view is surely no longer plausible. No less discredited is the related view, also advanced by the Fed, that it is better to deal with the aftermath of asset price bubbles than prick them in advance. Professor Mishkin wrote that, and I quote, it is highly presumptuous to think that government officials, even if they are central bankers, know better than private markets what the asset prices should be. End of quote. Today, few would mind such presumption given the costs of the financial crises that follow asset price bubbles accompanied by big expansions in private credit. Complacency about the great moderation has led first to a great unravelling and then a great recession. The private sector was complacent about risk, but so too were policymakers. What role then did monetary policy play? I can identify three related but distinct critiques of the way the central banks performed. First, John Taylor of Stanford University, a former official in the Bush administration, argues that the Fed lost its way by keeping interest rates too low in the early 2000s and so ignoring his eponymous Taylor Rule, which relates interest rates to inflation and output. This, he argues, caused the housing boom 
and the subsequent destructive bust. Professor Taylor has an additional point. By lowering rates too far, he argues, the Fed also caused the rates offered by other central banks to be too low, thereby generating bubbles across a large part of the world. In retrospect, for example, the autonomy of the Bank of England was much smaller than most imagined. The wider the interest rate gap vis-à-vis -vis the US, the more so-called hot money flowed in. This induced a lowering of standards for granting credit, and so a credit bubble. Second, a number of critics also argue that central banks should target asset prices because of the huge damage subsequent collapses cause. As Andrew Smithers of London-based Smithers & Co. notes in a recent report called Inflation, Neither Inevitable Nor Helpful, and I quote, by allowing asset bubbles, central banks have lost control over their economies so that the risks of both inflation and deflation have increased, end of quote. Thus, when nominal asset prices and associated credit stocks go out of line with nominal income and prices of goods and services, one of two things is likely to happen. Asset prices collapse, which threatens mass bankruptcy, depression and deflation, or prices of goods and services are pushed up to the level consistent with the high asset prices, in which case there is inflation. In the short term, moreover, central banks also find themselves driven towards unconventional monetary policies that have inevitably unpredictable monetary effects. Finally, economists in the Austrian tradition argue that the mistake was to set interest rates below the quote-unquote natural rate. This, argued Friedrich Hayek, also happened back in the 1920s. The result is misallocation of resources, but it also generates explosive growth of unsound credit. Then, in the downturn, as the American economist Irving Fisher argued in his Debt Deflation Theory of Great Depressions, published in 1933, balance sheet deflation will set in, greatly aggravated by falling prices and shrinking incomes. Whichever critique one accepts, it seems clear in retrospect that monetary policy was indeed too loose. As a result, we now face two challenges clearing up the mess, and designing a new approach to monetary policy. On the former, we have essentially just three alternatives, liquidation, inflation, or growth. A policy of liquidation would proceed via mass bankruptcy and the collapse of a large part of existing credit. That is an insane choice. A deliberate policy of inflation would reawaken inflationary expectations and lead inevitably to another recession in order to re-establish monetary stability. This leaves us only with growth. It is essential to sustain demand and return to growth without stoking up another credit bubble. This is going to be hard. That is why we should not have fallen into the quagmire in the first place. On the latter, the choice in the short term is certainly going to be inflation targeting plus. 
out is likely to be the risk management approach of the Fed, which turned out to give an unduly asymmetric response to negative economic shocks. In is likely to be leaning against the wind whenever asset prices rise particularly rapidly and to exceptionally high levels, along with a counter-cyclical, macro-prudential approach to capital requirements in systemically significant financial institutions. This largely unforeseen crisis is surely a disaster for monetary policy. Most of us, I was one, thought we had at last found the Holy Grail, and now we know it was only a mirage. This may be the last chance for fiat money. If it is not made to work better than it has done, who knows what our children might decide? Perhaps, in despair, they will even embrace what I still consider to be the absurdity of a return to gold.